You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. got Ryu and Ray and then hope for lots of rainouts and then all of a sudden now it's like well we can't cut one of these six um you know playing first base isn't that hard tell him wash (laughs) you didn't say it we would (laughs) have players are floating in the air to catch balls it's like yeah something divine is happening here the angels are going to win we forfeit and welcome to episode number 216 of artificial turf wars where we enjoy a little bit of home cooking uh, i'm your host greg wisniewski and i am joined by the unstoppable joshua house josh how's it going i'm good how about you I'm good. I'm good. You're like George Springer. Unstoppable. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we're going to talk about the Cleveland series, which seems like it was 100 years ago, but in fact was last week. Um, and then we're going to talk, you know, in the context of George Springer busting out and Vlad having what we, we would call a slump from Vlad proportions. Uh, what is the starting rotation doing? We talked about the six-man rotation last week. They've, they've gone around once. What happened? Uh, and then, like, a whole bunch of pitchers in the bullpen moved around. And I'm not going to name them all here. We'll name them all later. As well as more pitchers in the bullpen are going to go up and down as people recover from injury and uh, the bullpen upgrades continue. Then we have a very special interview with Matt Corey, uh, noted Boston Red Sox scribe, whom we give a hard time about how the Boston series went and ask him to um, just just cry a little bit on the podcast. I don't think he actually burst out into tears, to be fair, but we try. Uh, we, of course, have your questions uh, all lined up, and there are a lot of them now that uh, I'm sure all the momentum in the world is with this team, and we will answer them to the best of our abilities. First, we we begin with a rewind. Uh, the Jays faced off against the Cleveland not-quite-yet-Guardians, and they did okay. Took yeah. two out of three. Three out of four. The three out of four, sorry. Um, one of those games, they lost in extra innings because that's what the Blue Jays do in extra innings. <laughs> <laughs> They're not good with two and eight now or something. It's it's a questionable area that you would want to upgrade in some way, but I don't know how to do it. Like the, the bullpen depth is there, and yet Brad Hand just turned into a pumpkin as soon as he got into that uh, that extra inning game. And the Jays also can't figure out how to score the easiest runner to score in the world. 
the guy on second when you start the inning. Yeah, I mean, that that's a problem that I don't really have an explanation for. But I do think there is something to be said for the makeup of the Blue Jays' bullpen, which is not really full of heavy bat missers at the moment. I mean, we'll get to how that could change later on in the show. But I think that that's the kind of thing that could lead to live, giving up more runs in those extra inning situations because you start with a runner on second base. So yeah, any any contact becomes dangerous because you're you're advancing a guy into well, there's already a guy in scoring position. Um, yeah, I mean obviously that didn't apply here with the Brad Hand one because he gave up a hit and then he gave up a three a two run homer. So it's like well, yeah, over the fence is going to score runs no matter what. <laughs> yeah, runner or no runner, you shouldn't do that. Um, but. On the overall, uh, there was a lot of good to come out of that series. Uh, there were some good, solid starting pitching performances. Uh, there was George Springer and Teoscar Hernandez hitting homers uh, to give the Jays an early lead. Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, mean, in the game, tying home run in the game, they lost. Yeah, the, the, and even the bullpen, um, the, the offense outpacing the bullpen's inadequacy in the 8-6 game, which was interesting. It was an 8-0 game which rapidly became an 8-4 game. Um, but that was okay because that's, I mean, in 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 the real world, not in the ideal world, sometimes this team is just going to have to score enough runs to get around the, the inadequacies of, of the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, and obviously in the, in the Red Sox series, it was to get around Hyunjin Ryu's stinker. No, but that's the kind of thing that hasn't actually happened a lot with this team up until recently, where the offense has bailed out the pitchers. Because they've got some huge offensive games, but they'll win 15 to 1, 16 to 3, you know, 14 to 5 is, is like maybe, I don't even know if they've given up 5. It's just these, like the pitching is pitching well and the offense explodes. But it's nice to have a couple where the pitching isn't quite there and the offense won it for them. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's sort of the formula, I think, going forward is you're going to get some solid starting pitching hopefully more solid uh bullpen than we've seen i mean i think that trend is coming around i i don't fear for those last uh nine outs anymore <laughs> no um so yeah they're looking like a team that is going to compete for a playoff spot in my mind but uh and we're, we go into the we're going to talk to matt Corey. we're going to go into more depth about the boston series but i am concerned that every other team barring Boston in this, you know, above them in the standings also looks like a team that's competing for a division lead or wild card spot. What, how do the Blue Jays go a whole week and spin their wheels effectively in this division? Yeah, they went eight and two over their last 10 gained no ground on Tampa or Oakland and actually lost half a game on the Yankees. <laughs> like, man. Um, yeah. They, I mean, well, I mean, of course, if you look at the teams those guys were playing, it's like, well, okay, the Yankees are playing, what's that? Oh, the Royals. Yeah, and I think they played Baltimore before that. It's just, you know, like the Jays had an easier part of their schedule, and now these guys did. But now, like, for example, the Red Sox are going into Tampa and then New York. So those three teams are going to beat up on each other a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you you can't help but gain something somewhere if you continue to play well. When when yeah. your division rivals are going against one, but yeah, it was it was, it's a little futile feeling. But again, if the Blue Jays had say gone six and four over this stretch, they would be very much in a in a bigger looking hole, right? At this point, which I think is the part you don't kind of think about when you see eight and two. 
Yeah. I mean, you, you just sort of have to take care of your own business and it'll work out in the end is kind of the idea. Yeah, it didn't work out this week, but you know, they gained five games, I think, on Boston. And, you know, they're three back of Boston and Oakland now. They're tied. And then they have a bunch of like they're done with Boston, right? So they, they did the damage against them to get back in the race. And then they have a bunch of games left with New York and Tampa to to make up the ground there. They even have a threesome with Oakland. So at least they have games left against the teams they're chasing. Yeah. And if you believe in this team, you have to believe that they're going to win more of those games than they're going to lose. You can't avoid the good teams forever. As much as strength of schedule is nice to have, uh, going head to head with someone ahead of you is is the best way to prove that you're the better team. All right. Are we ready to talk about George Springer? I think we have to. George Springer, player of the week. Player of the week. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't stutter. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. I mean, I don't know. There's not a lot you can say that's not really obvious in the sense of he's just been incredible since they came home. And, you know, this is the George Springer that the Jays thought that they were getting, right? I mean, obviously – like he, since they come home, he's hitting 409 with a 449 on base and a 932 slugging, which is otherworldly. But overall, in the season, 286, 376, 27. The slugging is a little higher than his career, but the rest of the numbers are right online. And he's playing in a better hitter's park. So, well, maybe his road parks are better than they were when he was playing in Houston. So, I mean, this is what they paid for. And he's becoming the really dangerous table setter that they thought they were getting yeah and uh you know he is well known for leadoff home runs so you know as, as he's worked his his way back up in the in the batting order he is doing exactly that hitting leadoff home run putting the jays out front early that's kind of like a trademark um, he's got three yeah and he's not you know a, a lot of players that we see on this team um you know have a liability either defensively or they you know they, they do well but they strike out too much or uh, George Springer got a $150 million contract because he is not supposed to have any major weaknesses in his game. And right now he looks exactly like the player that they paid for. Yeah. And in addition to those leadoff homers, obviously, as you said, we're going to talk more about the Red Sox series with Matt Corey, but the one he hit against Matt Barnes, his former college roommate, I think, by the way, at least they went to school together at the university of Connecticut. That was the biggest hit of the season. So far, I mean, I, obviously it's August and there's going to be more big moments to come, but walk off or not a walk off, but a go ahead three run homer to win a four game series as opposed to splitting it against a team you're chasing. That's enormous. This team loves the uh, the three run homer slash big pimping it out around the bases. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he definitely did. <laughs> By the way, so his quote afterwards was. So he said, uh, I, I just wanted to I also wanted to get Vladdy up. That's all I care about. Get Vladdy up with those guys on base. If you saw the swing he took at the pitch before he hit the home run, <laughs> he was thinking about the bases being empty for Vlad. Well, I mean, that gets Vladdy up, I guess. He's, he might be fudging me with those guys on base, but either way, <laughs> Vladdy ends up at the plate. Um, yeah, so George Springer, uh, as advertised, trademark, uh, yeah, he doesn't need a trash can to help him out, obviously. He knows how to handle the bat and to handle the drama. So it's pretty cool. He does this, as I noted on Twitter about a week ago, uh, when he went the first player of the week thing. He does this as Vlad hits what for Vlad appears to be uh, a nadir of the season, as they say, a slow, a low point. 
um, in his performance. Are you? Yeah, Vlad's def- definitely in a mini slump. Uh, he took his first off day of the season because he's just been wearing down a little bit. And since you know, in the homestand, he's hitting two. He hit two twenty five with a two ninety five on base and a four hundred slugging, which is not Vlad. But at the same time, he still only struck out five times, walked three times, and he hit two home runs, both reasonably important home runs. And then, as we're, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to bring up with Matt, he just missed another one <laughs> with, a, with an absolute laser beam in the second game of the doubleheader against Boston. I mean, it was 106 miles an hour off the bat, 22 degree launch angle ahead. I think of the expected batting average on the thing was 850, and it was an out. So. He's still making the contact. He's been a little more aggressive in some pitches out of the zone. I think that it's possible the home crowd may have been sort of amping him up, like really trying to put on a show, but I'm not worried about Vlad. I think there's uh, been two things that, uh, one of which I I could say for sure I've noticed, um, which is trying to ambush the first pitch, which with some of the starters that they've been facing, maybe is, uh, like you said, a little... uh, little amped up for the home crowd and maybe ambushing the first pitch wasn't necessary for some of the guys they've been facing. Uh, And the second thing is, and I don't know that this is true. He does seem to be hitting the ball on the ground more often than he was say back in June, Um, which was one of the issues last year was his, his launch angle being well below average. Um, I have not tracked the launch angle numbers, but if both of those things are easy to correct, if, if his mindset indicates that they are the problem, obviously. Yeah. I mean, his launch angle is, you know, at peak at its peak in the season, it was about 18 minutes at 9.1 now, but it's been around that level for a little while. As you mentioned it, you know, it's like he, he will occasionally hit more balls on the ground and that's when he struggles, but I, I don't think it's something to worry about. I think it's just, a patch where he didn't perform as well. And, you know, all elite hitters go through them. Uh, also found so, it hum- humorous that uh, I continue to see people marveling at Vlad's speed on the bases and or, um, you know, in the field, like catching that bunt pop up. Um, he's he's average to above average running. I don't know. I know he doesn't look like it, but he's pretty much established that all season, hasn't he? Yeah, he's a legitimately league average runner, which... When you hit the way he does and you look the way he does, it's people don't expect it. But yeah, I mean, he, if you cut caught napping, he'll steal a bag on you, which he did against Boston and led to a run. Yeah. And and he will get down the line to first if if on a close play. He can he could beat out that ball deep at short or or whichever, which um, you know, it's not gonna it's not gonna help the slugging percentage, but it's certainly gonna um keep him from having a super bad slump, I think. Uh, a couple of those with the ball on the ground. Yeah, and it's not like you know they got some guys in this team that won't beat that out, like Reese McGuire or Alejandro Kirk. Alejandro Kirk's a better example because he's actually a good hitter. Like if he hits the ball on the ground and a guy fields it, he's out. Yeah, um, which is no fault of him. He's got short little legs <laughs> to go with his short little torso. Um, so this team's success in the past ten games, I would say you could, as much as the offense has been firing well, I think you could lay it at the feet of this starting rotation, which has six men in it, the worst performing of which is Hyunjin Ryu. Yeah. Um, uh, When you have one terrible start, it'll certainly look like that. Here are the ERAs of the the pitchers since they've returned home. Zero for Steven Matz, only the one start, six shot innings against Cleveland. 
Jose Brios, 0.75, one run in 12 innings. Robbie Ray, 1.5. Alec Noah, 1.5. Ross Stripling, 1.59. Hyunjin Ryu, 7.59. Now, that start, the numbers were worse than they should have been. Uh, The inherited runners scored, even though there were two outs. Um, You know, it's like a guy comes in and gives up back-to-back hits. It's like, oh, thank you. And there were some Lourdes Goriel circus acts in the outfield. but And he was great against Kansas City. So Ryu is still really, really good. But it just says how good their rotation has been. And I do not expect any of those guys to stay below a three ERA for any length of time. But some of them. But well, okay, yes, one of them specifically, Robbie Ray, I, I've suddenly expected to do that. But well, Alec, uh, Alec Manoa is under three on the season now. Oh yeah, I, I keep forgetting because he he has fewer innings having been called up later. He, he tends not to show up uh, in the you know ERA leaders column right away. Um, so. They are very good. Um, how do you take a guy out of this rotation? <laughs> it's a tough question to answer. Uh, thankfully, they don't have to answer it yet because they have the doubleheader. Well, we're recording this on the day of the doubleheader against Los Angeles, against the Angels. which And then no off days coming up. So they need six starting pitchers again. But I also, uh, as a note... I feel like the Blue Jays' biggest advantage this season, schedule-wise, is playing seven-inning doubleheaders. Well, when you've got a bullpen you don't trust, it's definitely better to not have to use four of them. Well, it's it's a bullpen you don't trust and a starting rotation that will give you six innings more often than not and keep you in the ballgame. Like, that's a weird combination to have. Yeah, but also not much more than that. They haven't had a pitcher getting out in the eighth inning since Marcus Stroman in April of 2019. Yeah. Make them all seven. Yeah, the Jays would be awesome. Um, <laughs> but but no, it, I, there's a lot of thinking that it'll be Stripling that moves to the bullpen when they do that because he's had success in that role with the Dodgers. But he's been uh, basically all season, except for when he's facing Boston. He's been really, really good, whereas Matt's has been a little more inconsistent. So I think it's honestly going to be a situation of who's pitching the best when the time comes, or they might even roll with the six-man until September. Yeah, I, I think I usually get down on a six-man rotation because um, I feel like th- that sixth guy that you're putting in there is is strictly for scheduling purposes. Like you said, they have the doubleheader. They need to not put a guy in short rest, et cetera, et cetera. But in this case, I don't feel like you're sacrificing much and you're limiting innings in a year after a year where not a lot of guys were able to throw a lot of innings. So maybe it saves Alec Manoa a bit to be on that schedule. Now, the only thing is, of course, Robbie Ray's um, insistence upon every five days. But again, with the doubleheaders, that hasn't mattered so far. Yeah, I mean, it's a preference more than an insistence. But at some point, you just have to not do that. They have the two off days coming up. So they play the Angels for four and then the Mariners for three. Then they go day off, two against Washington, day off. As you mentioned Manoa, I would not be surprised if they skipped Manoa in that round because then they have another stretch of of games without an off day starting on the 20th. So I think that that's probably the way they'll do it. And then they'll just play it by ear because they have another doubleheader coming up in September on the 11th, again, with no off days in the middle. So this having these six guys is really going to help them. Yeah, which I didn't think having a legit six major league starters was something I was going to be talking about, even maybe as far as, like, what, May? 
didn't didn't well, seem like a thing that was going to happen. Yeah, but there's a reason Alec Manoa was in the roster, right? So back then it was Tanner Rorick was in the rotation. TJ Zoik was making starts. Ross Stripling was terrible. It was like, okay, so we've got Ryu and Ray and then hope for lots of rainouts. And then all of a sudden now it's like, well, we can't cut one of these six. So it's a nice <laughs> little switch. It's a long season and it can get really weird sometimes. Uh, if you were confused by what's happening with the six-man rotation by our little discussion, man, do I have bad news for you about our next topic. <laughs> oh, boy. The bullpen. Uh, Ryan Barucki was demoted. Joaquin Soria, who only threw one inning? Yep. Is that right? One inning is hurt. Tim Meza, who threw a lot more than one inning, is hurt. Is that the second time he's been hurt this season? Anyway, um, he, he was on COVID IL, I think, for his testing. Which means that Kirby Sneed, Kirby Sneed? Yep. Uh, Pat, Patrick Murphy and Taylor Sosdu. Um, Sosedo. I know. <laughs> are all up, but maybe not for long. So let's discuss. Uh, are all the, Those are just moves out of necessity, aren't they? Like Baraki was clearly underperforming. Um, in the last month um you, and you can't do much with with guys who are hurt so you just look on the depth chart and you pick pick your your best three out of triple a yeah i mean so Sato had been really really good up until that boston game where he gave up just a whole bunch of singles in a row um kirby sneed looked fine in his early debut i think there was sort of a they sent down two lefties so they got two lefties back with those guys yeah Baraki just he hasn't looked right since he came back and he needs to go down to the minors. We can get the innings because they couldn't put him out in leverage spots. And, you know, so now he's not. And he, so he, cause like the talent is there, right? Like we've seen how good Baraki can be, but just let him go down there and actually work on some things and then come back up when the rosters expand. Because I mean, right now the, the bullpen is what we just said, and it's not getting more open. <laughs> no, no, because, um, in, in allusion to that, Nate Pearson is moving to a rehab game situation, not just a throwing situation. And Julian Merriweather, who had had some setbacks, um, has gotten over those. And he's looking at this week facing um, hitters, I assume, in simulated games. Yeah, he'll be facing simu- uh, hitters in live BP and then moving to game. He said, he said like... If that goes well, he'll move to games quickly because they're relievers, right? They don't need a lot. Yeah, you're not building up to 70 pitches or something. Um, you are you are building up to whatever 100% is for you, and you might only need to throw 10 pitches in a in an appearance in a major league game. It's not much to build up to. It, well, and it's just funny. So obviously there's a little bit of dreaming talk com- coming right now because, you know, the injuries with these two guys specifically have come – and lingered but the bullpen all of a sudden could be really really good again uh, <laughs> like if these people all get healthy i mean mazes there it was almost a he's had some soreness so they just sat him down for 10 days i think that's what they said you know given their track record with with injury reporting it might be he's out for the season but assuming he's actually back like they said you got romano Simber, Richards, and Meza, who are trusted right now, right? Yeah, they're all, they're all guys I would willingly put in with the game close and late. And then if you add 
Merriweather and Pearson. That's six. And then whichever starter moves to the bullpen eventually, that's seven, which leaves two spots for Hand, Soria, and Dolis. Who are all required to bolster this bullpen. That's the whole point of them being here. And they're yeah, the they're, last they're guys. All, they're all useful <laughs> pitchers. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of these relievers is returns when this when the roster's expanded 28 so they don't have to cut one of those guys that we just mentioned. But all of a sudden, if your eighth and ninth and tenth relievers are hand Soria and Dolis, you've got a really strong bullpen. You you can navigate your way through a lot if that's where you're at. And also, Julian Merriweather has never been bad when he's been healthy. Like he's been really, really good. And we know Nate Pearson, when he can let it fly, does throw over 100 miles an hour. Like these, these aren't just good guys. These are top tier from the bullpen pitchers. It's crazy. I mean, we saw what Pearson can do out of the pen last year against Baltimore and Tampa, where he struck out seven guys in three innings. Just oh, because he's like, I don't need to preserve anything. So he just came out there throwing 100 miles an hour, 102 out of the bullpen and blowing guys away. And then Merriweather does that as well with his changeup on top of it. And if you can get those guys and pitching the way we have seen them pitch, it totally changes this bullpen. Because right now, I said this on Twitter and I'm going to say it here. The Blue Jays don't have a pitcher that I would call a lockdown overpowering reliever that you can bring in with runners on second and third and one out and think that they're not going to give up a run. Yeah, the the closest you get well, uh, is Jordan Romano, and, and even Jordan Romano is a problem with runners on base who aren't on second and third. And he's also been homer prone of late. He's given up yeah. five home runs in his last eight innings, which <laughs> that's not so great. Now he's pitched well his last couple times out, and he still throws a hundred, so he's a certainly a guy to be considered at that level. But he's not quite that. Yeah, he was pretty stoked against Boston to save that last game. 101.4 on game day. Yeah, I've never seen him throw that hard before. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Uh, and and he, but even though the strikeout pitch that ended the game, the last one of that series, was a slider that was not supposed to be where it was. Um, but anyway, just if you can have these flame-throwing relievers who get swings and misses coming out to put out fires – and then Adam Simber coming in to put out when you need ground balls, you you can really mix and match and, and shorten games. Yeah, for sure. All right, last highlight before we go to the interview uh, is the actual arrival of Corey Dickerson, who uh, deserves some props for showing up and contributing pretty much right away. He's good. <laughs> uh, so Corey Dickerson is not going to hit for a lot of power. He's hit for some power in his career, but mostly in Colorado, which that's a little bit of a mirage. But he doesn't strike out a whole lot and he takes walks and he puts the bat on the ball and he hits right-handed pitching. And that's what he's done since coming over. And it's a really nice thing to have in the lineup. Yeah. It's like it, it once again, it's when you're going up and down this lineup, very, very difficult to find a spot that you would describe as a whole. And Corey Dickerson fills one against right-handed pitching. Yep. Thanks for taking the boot off and walking around properly, Corey. Well, uh, we look forward to seeing more of you. Oh, I guess we should also mention that Kevin Bishio is on the IL with his neck soreness and couldn't have been better timed. <laughs> yeah, you can stay there for a little while, Kevin. We're, we're fine at the moment without you. 
Here's Bravik Valera coming up, getting big doubles in, in key spots. Like, okay. Just proving over and over again that he really exists. All right. Uh, we are going to take a quick pause, and then we're going to come back. Uh, we're going to talk more in depth about the Boston series, about, about the whole season series with Boston in general, with Matt Corey, right after this. <laughs> And we are happy to be once again joined by longtime friend of the podcast, Matthew Corey of Sox Outsider, and of course on Twitter at MattyMatty2000. Mr. Corey, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's um, a pleasure to be here. What better time? What? No, it's not. What better time <laughs> could it be for us to um, to talk to you again about your favorite team, the Boston Red Sox, as they are in some sort of free fall formation and the Toronto Blue Jays are in, in some kind of ascendant um, direction in the American League, or so so the people would have us believe in the media. Uh, it was a four-game series. It was actually at the building formerly known as Sky Dome. How did you feel for these four games, one of which was a, a, a doubleheader? Well, it's funny you say it was four because I only remember one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was bad. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what kind of analysis you want, my friend, but but yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. I, I actually was, uh, I would have been really happy, you know, given the way things were going for Boston and the way things are going for Toronto and the Yankees and the Rays, uh, if the Red Sox had been able to uh, just hold serve and, and split that series. And they were, they were so close to doing it. Um, but then Matt Barnes decided to be a gentleman and throw fastballs right down the middle to George Springer, which I felt like was a bad idea. Um, so, before Springer we get to the last game, <laughs> let's, so, anyway, let's rewind to the first game. Perhaps we'll start at the beginning. Uh, I thought uh, Nathan Eovaldi uh, was looking great for four innings. Has, has that happened to him this year where all of a sudden all of the wheels came off at once in an inning? Uh, no, not really. Not really. Um, and you're, you're going to test my memory on this one, but I, I mean, I do remember him looking dominant the first four innings of the game. Um, and I feel like there was maybe some, some bad batted ball luck in that in that one inning and th things just kind of got away from him um as you know it does happen in a long season but now he's been i mean he's been the red sox best uh best starting pitcher um uh, all season long and i mean you know he's probably not an ace on a uh, world series winning team but he's uh he's he's had a, a really nice season um uh, much nicer than i expected um I think that uh, you know even his ERA is not doesn't quite do him him justice to to how good he's been. If you look at his FIP, it's 276, which according to uh, Baseball Reference ha is a is a black ink number. Um, big part of the reason that you know leading the league. Big part of the reason is that he just hasn't given up any home runs. Um, he's at 0.6 per game, I think, or 0.6 per nine. So. Yeah, he's he's been fantastic, and uh, you know, uh, the the Jays' offense just keeps coming, and that you know that happens, I guess. 
you know, given that analysis of essentially that the way the Jays offense has performed at times this year, and this is not the first time the Red Sox have seen it, though the Jays have seen it from Boston as well. Were you, I guess, pleasantly surprised with what happened with the, what happened with the starting pitching in that second day, which was, you claimed not to remember the first one, but Nick Pavetta went six shutout. Yeah, Pavetta's been really hot and cold. Uh, he he had a no hitter going into the seventh in in one game, um, and and you know he's had some I don't know meltdown starts is too too strong. He's not Martin Perez, but um, but he's had some you know some some bad starts also sprinkled in there. But when he's on his game, which he was there, uh, I mean you can you can see it. It's he's got the the breaking ball. He's got the upper nineties fastball. Um, you know, when he, when he's, I think it's command, you know, uh, uh, if I'm, if I'm being, uh, truthful about it, you know, when, when he's, when he's commanding his pitches and throwing them for strikes, he's, he's a pretty impressive pitcher and yeah, he's, he was on his game on his game there. And then Matt Barnes happened again. <laughs> yeah, I know. And the good thing about Barnes is that he's been so, so good for the Red Sox this year. Like if you sort, you know, go to fan graphs and, and break out all the nerd metrics and, and look at, uh, you know, the, the best bullpens in, in um, you know, in baseball. And the Red Sox are right up there, which I think is a huge reason that they've had such a successful season, you know, the last 10 days uh, notwithstanding. Um, and Barnes is a, is a big reason for that. You know, if you look at the Red Sox run differential, you you probably go, oh, well, they're not really that good. Um, and, you know, I think we've come some distance from just analyzing teams based on run differential, you know, teams are, you know, to a certain extent, living organisms that, that change playing time changes, players come up, players get, you know, sent down, players get hurt, new players are acquired, et cetera. Um, you know, and, and so I think you, you can, you can overperform your, your run differential and it's not necessarily like you're the 2006 Cardinals and you're just, you know, cheating the game in some weird black magic kind of way. Um, and I think Barnes has been a, a big part of the Red Sox success in, in one run games. Um, you know, they, they've had a number of, uh, of relievers really step up this year and he's been at the top of the list. So if that kind of thing's going to happen, then they're in, they're in real trouble. And I think that's maybe a, an underreported story, you know, uh, of the, 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 <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. The, the free fall of the last, you know, 10 days, two weeks. Well, well he, he almost gave up another wa- home run to Vlad yeah, in the second did. game of the doubleheader. Yeah, <laughs> but that was caught on the warning track. <laughs> the fence is <laughs> caught at the oh, fence. Well, I like how the projected distance on that ball was 411 feet. And yet there is nowhere in the Rogers center that is 411 feet deep. And the ball was still in the ballpark when it was all over. So I'm, I'm always fascinated by stat casts mashing things out um well I, I actually asked this today i was curious about it and basically the idea is that if there was no fence and fielder the ball would have landed 411 feet away but there was both so it didn't really matter. <laughs> that must have really been hit on a line then 22 degree launch angle oh god yeah okay okay so that's that's not a joey gallo home run is what you're saying no the polar opposite <laughs> uh you did get a new reliever i thought worth worth mentioning you got jonathan arouse uh, <laughs> he's no Brock Holt. I did notice that, like, I, I am curious about this just as a general thing. Up sure. until this season, we would see a position player put in because 
at some point in their career, perhaps they wanted to pitch or they thought they had something, you know, like, you know, Cliff Pennington or Travis Snyder or whomever would come in, try and snap off a couple curveballs. Um, this man was literally slow pitching. Like I've actually seen, I, I would put him on my slow pitch team. Uh, 39 miles an hour, 36 miles an hour. Is this, a, is this what we're going to see now from position players pitching? Well, given, uh, I mean, if you just go by results, you know, he's <laughs> as good or better than Martin Perez. Um, and uh, I would say, uh, you know, he's a strong contender for seventh or even eighth inning role going forward. <laughs> You're the here first, folks. Yeah. The new independent metric, the, the inefficiency is pitching under 40 miles an hour. That's right. That's right. Well, change of speeds is really important. And, uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, I suppose a change up from 50 to 36 miles an hour is is a is a big change like that's a percentage of the speed it's huge uh yeah that was really weird to see uh but you're right he only gave up the one run so uh they'll probably roll him out there next time i uh, give up with the one run while looking the least interested in pitching i've ever seen anyone on a major league mound look well uh at a certain point looking interested in pitching just doesn't matter that much i mean look at what the red sox did with hansel Robles and austin davis they're two uh I was going to call them big deadline acquisitions, but that's wrong. They're deadline acquisitions. Um, I mean, both of them are, are, they were bad and then they put on a Red Sox uniform and shockingly they've continued to be bad. Mm. Uh, Well, we go ahead. Well, I was going to say, we, we, we were going to actually ask you about some of those deadline moves. And I guess we may as well use, since you brought it up, what happened there? <laughs> I mean, uh, on a on a global level, or or with guys? Uh, which? What yeah. do you mean? Well, I mean, just with the Red Sox, the choices that they made at the deadline, and they had some well, pretty clear okay. needs, and they didn't really address any of them. Well, so I mean, they kind of did, and, and you know. Do I necessarily like the results? No, and I don't. I don't think anyone does. I'm sure even the general manager isn't that excited about the way things have gone since the deadline. I doubt this was part of the plan. Um, I'll uh, I'll make a trade with the Pirates, and then we'll lose nine out of ten. Let's do that. Uh, no, I. You know they they got. Um, you know they got outbid for Anthony Rizzo. You know the Yankees gave up to what would have been for the Red Sox. Uh, system top 10 prospects um and my guess is that uh you know their ability to beat that offer would have been even more expensive and you know they didn't want to do that for a rental uh they were able to get kyle schwarber who is having a better offensive year than um you know than rizzo is having the the one downside of course is that schwarber is hurt and so uh you know, not has not been able to even put on a uniform yet. Um, and just recently had a setback of sorts, not the same injury, but a, a different, um, smaller injury that's, that's slowed his potential return down. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's, uh, it, it makes sense on paper, right? Like, okay, well, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna detonate our, our top 10 list, um, and uh and go all in on on rental players uh 
and we can we can fill that same need. You know, they're gonna they're gonna play Shorebird first. At least that's the idea. Uh, if I didn't say that specifically, and so you know we can fill that same need for less with potentially a better player. Um, you know, playing first base isn't that hard. Tell him wash. Uh, <laughs> you didn't say it. We would have. <laughs> and uh, so I think that's you know that was the plan there. Uh, as far as the bullpen goes, you know, they got uh, Hansel Robles, who as recently as 2019 was one of the best relievers in in, uh, in the game, or at least a very good one, um, and had a, a rough year last year. I think they see potential in him. Um, I don't, but they must. Um, and uh, and Austin Davis, who they basically got because they, uh, they essentially uh, dumped – Oh shoot! What's his name? I just completely blanked on the guy they traded to the Pirates. Former first-round pick. Um, doesn't really have a position. Also, can't really hit. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, he's on the Pirates now, and uh, so that that was kind of a, a trade of two players who aren't working out. And Davis is a lefty, and so they wanted to have another lefty in the bullpen. And apparently, it matters more that he's left-handed than uh, the fact that he can't really pitch very well. So, um, so there's that. I think the big question that people are asking is why they didn't improve the rotation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a legitimate question. Uh, so I think they, you know, they sort of are improving the rotation, but it's not so much through uh, the deadline acquisitions, right? So Chris sale is coming back. He's supposed to start uh, next weekend against the Orioles um, he's looked really good in his rehab starts, uh, tons of strikeouts, not many walks, very few runs against minor leagues, but still he's Chris Sale. There's reason to expect him to be a good pitcher when he arrives. Um, so that's one way. And the other is by, um, adding Tanner Houck, former first round pick of the Red Sox. Um, and, uh, Houck has been kind of bouncing around between the bullpen and the, uh, the rotation and the injured list and triple a this year, um, more based on team needs than, than any lack of performance on his part. Um, he is uh, sort of a side arming. That's probably too strong a term, but he, he's, you know, three quarters to sidearm somewhere in there, uh, you know, righty, uh, and you know, you guys got to see him pitch. I think he pitched in the double header, right? Yeah, and he pitched really well. Yeah, he's he's pitched really well. Um, ever since he's been called up from AAA, the you know even last year at the end of the year he came up and had two or three exceptional starts. Um, and the the big knock on him is that he can't get lefties out. He features a fastball slider combination, and it just sort of you know comes from the the side on the right, and so lefties can see it really well, and righties can't. Uh, and so he's you know, worked on developing a third pitch and that really has never taken hold. Um, so I, I don't know where the future lies, you know, what, what the future, um, has in store for him, but at least now he's better than Garrett Richards and he's better than Martin Perez. And so is Chris sale. And so I think, I think those are your rotation upgrades, you know, after at, you've got sale and Hauk and then Ivaldi. And his impressive FIP, <laughs> if you put any stock into that. Uh, and then um, Eduardo Rodriguez, who's kind of the opposite 
uh, with, as far as uh, FIP goes, I guess. But um, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez and and Nick Pavetta. So I, if those guys are healthy and performing, that's a that's a decent rotation. Um, I I think it's an open question whether or not how can get enough lefties out. Um, I think it's an open question whether or not Chris Sale is going to be healthy and effective. But um, that's that's where we are, and I think that that was the plan at the deadline to to bring those two guys in. Um, and uh, I wrote about that at Sox Outsider, which you can read if you want to go to that site. Um, although I, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you could. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am I am curious. Um, you know, just sort of at a high level, looking at the Blue Jays rotation right now, which sort of has six guys in it uh, versus the um, the Sox rotation um, with, you know, with that addition of Barrios. Do you think that the Blue Jays, um, you know, are, are uh, uh, you know, superior on par or or are they are they kind of working uh, above their uh, pay grade in terms of what they have in that rotation? I mean, I'll be honest, that's a better question for uh, you and Josh than it is for me. I, you know, just the perception in in your part of the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't speak for other Red Sox fans. I, you know, Manoa has been impressive to me this year. Um, You know, uh, uh, Ryu is always, uh, uh, you know, a pleasure to watch when he's not pitching against the Red Sox. Um, But he (laughs) works on such a uh, such a fine line. You know, when it's when it's not there, it's really not there. Um, and I, I kind of worry about that. Um, I mean, I don't worry about that, but I would worry about that if that makes any sense. Um, I, I think getting Barrios is a, you know, is a masterstroke. It, it, it depends on, a, I mean, they gave up a ton to get him. Um, and so, you know, was it worth it? I don't know. Um, but they did. And, and, and uh, your thoughts on a Robbie Ray who doesn't walk anybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ray is a really weird dude. My gosh. First of all, with the really tight uniform, that yeah. is that thing. That's uh, memeable. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. Tons of strikeouts. I mean, it, you know, you could see how he would be, you know, beloved by the, the, uh, the analytics set, but the, the home runs that he gives up, like how do you strike guys out and not walk anybody and still give up these rockets. I don't, I don't get it. It's just maybe moments of, of absolute lack of command. I better question for Josh again, but um, I, I, I can tell you as a Red Sox fan, um, it's not the, the thing that scares me is the Blue Jays lineup. I'm not afraid of their rotation. It certainly is a, uh, a good rotation. There's nobody in there that you really worry about absolutely shutting you down. If, if you've got a good offense um, for whatever that's worth, I guess that's, that's the perception that you're, you were asking me about. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So taking this back to your area, so, so we can stop asking you to speculate on blue Jays pitchers. <laughs> you wrote about this. You and I talked about this. Chriselle did not pitch this weekend. And as he result, Garrett Richards did. Yeah, for the sixth time, by the way, against the Blue Jays, which is wild. But (laughs) anyway, you know, there was a doubleheader, so the innings max, you know, the innings build up wasn't really an issue. Was it addressed as to why that decision was not made? I didn't read anything about why they. uh, I mean, they, you know, they had a. They've been incredibly conservative with sale. 
which makes sense for two reasons. One, it's Chris Sale, and he's by far your best starting pitcher. And two, um, you know, he's signed to this long-term expensive uh, contract. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it, it's a an important player going forward for the, for the team. So uh, it makes sense to get him as healthy as possible. And, you know, in truth, if it's, if one start, uh, you know, one more start being lost is, um, you know, going to help him in some way, stay healthy and prepare for, you know, major league, uh, you know, return then. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it seemed kind of, uh, inflexible to me, you know, uh, I think the way I termed it on the, uh, in the newsletter was I said, the season is on fire and, you know, sale has the potential to help put that out. Um, and you know, that was a pretty big series that the Red Sox were in. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a pretty large difference between, Chris Sale and Garrett Richards, even even a lesser version of Chris Sale potentially um, than the you know the version of Garrett Richards that we've seen this year. I mean, Richards is just not very good. You know, he has these moments where you're like, oh, okay, that works, uh, and then and then there's just you know some rocket off the wall and and then a walk and just not enough strikeouts are in there mixed in there to make that uh, viable. So yeah, it's it's just uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess it's just that inflexibility that I, I kind of wish they'd been like, all right, well, let's try to get three innings from sale and, um, you know, backfill from there. But, uh, you know, maybe have Richards even come in off the, out of the pen after that or something. I don't know. But but nope. Um, and so so here we are. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, as as we get to the sort of the end of, of the this discussion with you, I think we should zoom out a little bit because, I mean, if you get right in on what happened in the very last game uh, with the, you know, crazy comeback and everything else, it looks very, very bad for the Red Sox. They're obviously yeah. in a rough stretch. But I'm over here on the uh, Fangraphs playoff odds page, and um, it's not really affected by that, you know, the drama of a walk-off win or two. Uh, in the grand scheme of a 162 game season, and and it's telling me that at the end of the season, the Red Sox are still projected to finish second. Uh, they still have a better odd of of uh, winning the division than the Yankees and the Blue Jays combined. They still have a better odd of winning the wild card than any other team in the division. They still have a 70.9 percent chance, whatever that's worth, of making the playoffs. Um, the amount of of you left quote, you left that one column at the end there. Oh, their their odds of winning the World Series are the best in the division. Why? <laughs> I don't get that. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. I just uh, want to sell. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They, they, they the the uh, the Rays are not supposed to win the World Series, despite the fact that they're going to win the division, according to Fangraphs playoff odds. Um, yeah, weird. I don't get it, but okay. Um, yeah. So I mean. We we could get all excited about this, but as and and you could get all depressed about it. But at the end of the day, how do you think this division is gonna gonna shake down? Does it seem more logical to you that this this playoff odds projection means something? Well, so you know, I was digging into some numbers this morning, and you know, unsurprisingly, in a, in a a smaller sample, you know, where the team has not won a lot of games, there's a lot of uh, numbers that you're like, oh, well, that'll probably not stay like that. For example, 
you know, the Red Sox are hitting incredibly badly with runners in scoring position. And I think, you know, we saw that in that series. Um, it's uh, an unsustainable number from, uh, you know, for, for a major league team. And, and that's actually something they've struggled with all year, um, although um, not nearly as badly as, you know, within the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, the, 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 I think the same is is true of um, you know the starting pitching. I, I think the starting pitching will be better, partly because they're gonna you know cut some of the bad parts out, and and partly because guys like Nate Eovaldi and Nick Pavetta, you know, regardless of what you think about them, are not as bad as they've pitched over the last couple of weeks. Um, so, um, you know, the other thing about this is is yeah, the Red Sox are five games ahead, so. As we've seen, that can disappear quickly, <laughs> but um, but it can also not. You know, um, if if the Red Sox had just managed to hold on, which they didn't, but uh, but if they just managed to hold on in that last game, um, you know, then then you can see the numbers being even more advantageous to Boston than they are than they are now. So, um, I mean, I sort of struggle with this, and I I, I wonder what you guys think about it because. I think there is such a thing as momentum, but it does, you know, come with a lot of a lot of caveats. You know, like the Red Sox as an entire team were having a lot of trouble hitting and hitting with runners in scoring position. The Blue Jays as an entire team were not. They were hitting very very well, and they are a really good hitting team, but they're probably not that good. And the Red Sox are probably not that bad, right? So you have to think over the course of the rest of the season, these things might even out, or maybe they won't. Maybe the Blue Jays will go on a crazy run and just blow past everybody. Like that could happen too, right? I mean, the closer you get to the end of the season, the smaller, uh, you know, the sample of games left and the weirder things can be in that uh, smaller sample. So um, do I feel good about where the Red Sox are? On one hand, yeah, I do. I mean, I think when we talked at the beginning of the year, I said somewhere around like 85 wins, maybe. Um, and, you know, they're projected to go well over that at this point. Now, if they keep playing like they've been playing, they're going to go way under that. <laughs> um, but, you know, from a from a global standpoint, um, you know, looking down on the entire season, I, I think you have to be, you know, from a Red Sox standpoint, you have to be happy with with where they are. And, you know, presumably Sale will be back and healthy and presumably Kyle Schwarber will show up at some point and, uh, you know, maybe they'll be able to make a run. Um, you know, a healthy Chris Sale in a wild card game ain't ain't bad. Um, that could be that could be fun. Yeah, we had to wait like three, four weeks for, for um, Dickerson. So, I mean, I'm sure Schwarber will get there eventually. Presumably. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, coming around and letting us just dive into your pain and, uh, and, and get your take on things. We do appreciate the time. Uh, oh, sure. But I think it is time for us, us to part ways once again into the uh, great ether that is the Internet. So if people really want to hear more from you, of course, they could uh, follow you on Twitter at MattyMatty2000. And they could go to Sox Outsider and, uh, and they could figure out exactly what you think about the last what is it 50 something games of the season as from a red sox fans perspective 
Yeah, yeah, they can do that. I haven't written that yet, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Bye-bye. And we are back. Uh, I was going to collect uh, Matt Corey's tears in a cup, but I realized uh, we are remote, and I, I don't have any way of holding the cup under his crying eyes. No, he wasn't. And we got a little more optimism there than I was expecting. It was kind of sad. I was hoping for some just, oh, it's over. Video. He's too reasonable. It's too bad. <laughs> well, yeah, I think uh, having – we were talking – off air, I believe, with him about how long we've been talking to him. And after however many seasons, I think we've all decided that taking the long view is probably the safe bet when it comes to baseball. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, taking the long view, we have a bunch of people asking us questions about the long and the short term, and we're going to go to those right now. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Marks Burley at Trillimo Pena from August 6th asked us a question for the next pod. It seems obvious and inevitable that recent Olympian Jose Bautista will go on the level of excellence. And they should do it as soon as possible. My question is, who else, if anyone, would you put up there? Uh, can you guess my default answer to this question? Uh, no. Jimmy Key. I've been saying it forever. It's insane that Jimmy Key is not on the level of excellence. He has to be there. He's one of the best pitchers in the history of the franchise. Plus, he was a soft tossing lefty, um, which is just so cool to put up there. Also, there's space now, I've heard, on the level yeah, of excellence. Yeah, there's a name that was taken off. <laughs> of everything, rightfully so. But yeah, you couldn't, I mean, wouldn't you want to fill that space as early as possible? And I think Jose Bautista absolutely belongs there as well. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not knocking Jose. Um, I don't know what order you put guys up there in. I don't know how you decide that, but, uh, yeah, Ho Jose certainly gave this, this franchise iconic moments and a huge chunk of his career. Yep. Uh, minor leaguer. I think he's got a typo on this question. It says, do uh, angels really exist? I think, I think do angles really exist is what he was trying to, to ask in, uh, from a baseball perspective. Of course, launch angle exists. Are um, you a geometry denier? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what are you saying, man? <laughs> uh no that was that's in reference to the gif that you have used for um the turf pod tweet which is an angels in the outfield reference uh which follows with brendan at i'm just a guy 78 i'm i guess i'm just a guy 76 technically um his only question is uh why were we supposed to cheer for joseph gordon levitt's team in that movie angels in the outfield when they were clearly cheating they weren't Okay, this is this is the thing. They were not cheating. They had no control over what was happening to the point that they didn't even know what was happening. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character could see the Angels. The players couldn't. They didn't know when it was occurring. He had to wave his arms so that they would have an idea. It's like if it's like if the pitcher says, "Hey, I'm gonna throw a fastball." It's like, well, you didn't ask for that. It just was a gift. <laughs> that said, it became obvious. It was like a national thing that the Angels were helping them. Who would play against them? It's like, <laughs> it's like I think this game is rigged. <laughs> What's the point here? What are we competing for? Can we just call the season, give the Angels the title, and move on? 
Yeah, I feel like if God actually wanted to intervene in the fate of a team, would he have to do it on a game-by-game -game basis? <laughs> like, would he have to drill down and help on an individual play, or could some sort of sweeping declaration would probably take care of that? That's true. Uh, but but if you're watching this, and it's like <laughs> players are floating in the air to catch balls. It's like, yeah, something divine is happening here. The Angels are going to win. We forfeit. Yeah, it's just easier. That way we don't get hurt. Maybe we'll, maybe exactly. we'll play a second. Okay. L, uh, in all caps, mandate vaccines, you cowards, at Ellie Ellie Hart, uh, asks a, a, a vaccine-related question. Do you think that if COVID continues, as it is until the offseason, uh, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't, that unvaccinated players will take a value hit? After all, they're more likely to go on the COVID IL and take longer to return from it. Would players like Rizzo, who is on the COVID IL, Really want to leave money on the table over this. Do you want to go first? I think there are so many reasons that you would want to get vaccinated already that I don't understand the player. I, I don't think a player would do that calculation who has not already talked themselves out of being vaccinated already, as illogical as it is. I agree with that. And I also don't think it's going to change much in their value because I just think that they're going to be more relaxed towards COVID as things go forward as opposed to the opposite. Yeah. It, it will be an accepted, unnecessarily accepted part of the whole business, as it already is, right? The whole team doesn't shut down now because enough people are vaccinated that they're not worried about the breakthrough cases. And uh, interestingly, Boston had a bunch of cases among the coaches, which they, someone even from their staff said, probably would have not have been picked up except the testing protocol to enter Canada was much more stringent than the regular testing protocol. That's an so interesting we, point. We helped Boston with an outbreak of COVID, potentially. <laughs> Next question, Colleen Evans at Colleen Evans 6 uh, asks, if the Jays stay hot, but no one notices, i.e. the MLB power rankings and the standings don't change, did it really happen? Uh, and that ties in with Ethan's question at Elege, E-L-E-G-G-E 71, after the horrendous power rankings this week, where do the Jays belong in the rankings? So I, I didn't really pay attention. I think the Jays had were 14th or something behind the Mets who coughed up their lead and people lost their minds over. I mean, power rankings don't really matter. Power rankings um, are just voted on. There's not a statistical component to those power rankings. And they don't really mean anything. It's the idea, I guess, is that you're hot right now and good. And I don't know, like the, whatever the justification was for a power ranking, theoretically, the Jays should have been better. But I don't care. So I will digress and actually answer the questions. OK. Um, I think that's the opposite meaning of digress. But OK, <laughs> that's true. That is the opposite meaning. <laughs> I will just answer the questions. For, ignore, I, it's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> Colleen? After what we've seen in the first half of the season where the Jays would be cold and the rest of the league be hot, it still definitely happened. <laughs> yeah. But it would have been nice if some of those teams lost some games. Absolutely. And uh, where they should have belonged in the power rankings, I don't know, top 10? Um, I just want to observe that uh, Josh says it's been a long day. This is the earliest we've recorded a podcast in months. Shows um, what kind of day it's been. <laughs> We'll move on. <laughs> I also do not care for power rankings. If, if there was some statistical component, um, you know, if it involved the amount of runs you'd scored or wins or individual player performances, I could see arguing over it endlessly. But if it's just a list and a bunch of 
staff writers look at every week. Clearly, I would start phoning this in. <laughs> I can't fault other people for doing that. Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt. Is Charlie the best choice to be manager of this team going forwards? The best? Um, probably not. But uh, I think he's fine. He makes some weird decisions, but they've been, I haven't noticed anything particularly weird of late. It's no. almost like having good players play well makes it easier to manage. It's crazy like that. Um, yeah, and I mean, nobody's faulting him for when the bullpen blows up right now because he's he's been using the bullpen in the way that you would expect. And he has, when things are going badly, he has a better pitcher to stop the bleeding usually, and that pitcher pitches better. It doesn't turn into a Tyler... Uh, oh, a, uh, is it Chatwood? Is my, my brain yep. is frying? Yeah, a, a Chatwood situation where uh, the fireman brings gasoline with him. Um, Brian Donnelly at Brian Donnelly 8. I think you should ask this question. It's a tough one. <laughs> Who has angered the baseball gods to make the Yankees go 9-3 and three since July 29th? Was it Greg? <laughs> mm -hmm. Greg, I think, was it you? I, I think it, 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 I'm going to say yes. I mean, if it helps, yes, it was me, 100%. <laughs> and then he asks, seriously, though, how many more leadoff home runs do you think Springer can get this year? It's amazing. I think he's good for, what, three or four more? Yeah, that's my answer, too. He is on a 53 home run pace at the moment if you if you stretch it out to 162 games, which is insane. Which would be like, you'd assume, four at-bats a game, a little over four. So you're talking about 10 to 12 leadoff home runs a season? Yeah, so he's probably got... With the shortened season left, three or four more. I think that's good. The math checks out. Flawless. This napkin here never lies. Uh, Darius Ashra. Ashrag. Sorry, Ashrag. Uh, at D-E-S-H-R-A-G-H. -H. Uh, fun foreshadowing if, if everyone... Oh, and welcome to the podcast question section, Darius. Fun foreshadowing if everyone is healthy and rested. Who's starting lineup and pitcher for the Jays in a winner-take-all wildcard game right now? And I believe the... The format this year is winner-take-all, right? Yep. Um, P.S. He is going to tonight's and tomorrow's games in Anaheim. Go Jays. Well, congratulations, Darius. I hope you have fun. Yeah, and hopefully they win some for you. All right. So George, George Springer leading off. Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first base. Well, I think the rest of the line depends on who they're facing, right? Uh -huh. If you're facing Boston and they're throwing Chris Sale, you so like there's all the righties are in the lineup, right? Yep. And if they're not, basically the only positions that are really in question are whether Dickerson plays for one of the outfielders and whether and who's playing third. There's no other questions on the offense. And I guess who's catching? I was going to say your catcher, depending on. So if Hyunjin Ryu is your starter in that wildcard game, are you starting? Are you hoping Danny Jansen is back? It says if everyone's healthy and rested. Do you do you let Danny I, Jansen catch? Him? I think that it's Ryu. It's Ray. I think yeah, you got to go with Robbie Ray. And savor you for for because he is he is as good as he's been, and it makes sense to start Ryu in in the next series, assuming you you know Ray was your best pick and good enough to win. Yeah, yeah. and then if it's Ray, you start Kirk, and then you go. Even if Ray goes you five, then you just start firing off those relievers late in the game. But anyway, the Jays would be well set up to win as much as any team can be a one game playoff. But we would rather win the division. Yep. <laughs> Gavin Whitehead with our final query. Uh, Gavin asks, in the Friday Boston game, Bichette shifted on Verdugo for the first pitch, and then he and Valera switched spots for the rest of the at-bat. 
We only noticed this for two Verdugo shifts, but it may have happened for others. Any idea why they changed shifted positions after the first pitch? I've always wondered about this as well. So do you actually have an answer? After the first, after, so they always do it after two pitches because, after two strikes rather, because the bunt play is off. My guess is that that's what it was there too. I can't speak to it because I didn't see the situations where it happened, but it's usually bunting that they have a certain defender on the third base side if there's a bunt potential, and once that's gone, they switch it up, and they keep the shortstop on the left side. So okay. that's probably what happened there. They thought he might drop down a bunt, so they had Valera sitting over there, and then once that wasn't going to happen, they put Bichette back at short and Valera into short right. Cool. All right, we are done the questions, and that means uh, this, because of our extensive in-depth interview about Red Sox pain, um, is already getting to the end of the podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? I should probably ask you if you have a final thought. I do. Uh, it's not Blue Jays related this time. It's usually me who goes Blue Jays and you go wider baseball. Funny enough, I'm going I'm really wider base. I'm going to the Olympics. Hey. So we got the question earlier about Jose Bautista in the, in the Olympian who got his bronze medal. I wish he didn't. I feel really bad for the Korean players who, by losing out on the bronze medal, they don't just not get a medal. They have to serve in the military. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a tougher punishment. Like the, they, they were going to get their military for uh, uh, their mandatory military service forgiven if they got a medal. So by not getting the bronze medal, they lost a lot more than a piece of, you know, ore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's like that's beyond pride and prestige. That's years of your life that are going to be a whole lot different now. Well, on the other hand, that's a really weird bonus to give out for Olympic participation. But they've always done it. They did it in the World Baseball Classic. So it's basically if you bring glory to Korea, you don't have to serve. Wow. Uh, yeah, my question, my final thought is actually um, Blue Jays related, which, yeah, is unusual. Uh, Zeropod. Yeah, the Blue Jays are doing quite well of late. They, like we said, haven't moved up much in the standings. But do you know with off the top of your head when the last time they lost back-to-back -back games was? Um, no, I don't. It's been a while. July 25th and 26th, they lost two games in a row. That was the last game of the Mets series and the first game against Boston, I think. Um, right, when they coughed up the lead late in both. Yeah, so I think that might actually be leading to the good feeling about this team overall and the feeling that their you know momentum is going in the right direction. Because if you really do... You don't need a stopper. You don't even have a two-game losing streak. It feels like things are going well. Um, and that's not... I mean, things are going well, obviously, if you're not winning, losing a bunch of games in a row. Um, so I think that speaks to the consistency of the team, which is the other thing that I, is important as you go through this long season. Is They, they consistently start and and uh you know press that reset button every day and, and keep themselves in games so i just thought that was kind of cool more than two weeks since they've lost two games in a row i hope it keeps up out here in anaheim yeah so uh that is to say uh you have been joshua housem at joshua housem and i have been uh greg Wisniewski at coolhead 2010 and our guest was matthew corey at socks outsider or maddie maddie 2000 on twitter and this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 216, and we'll talk at you next week. <laughs>